This is the Golf Life Faith Podcast brought to you by College Golf Fellowship. I'm Toby Ragland, one of your hosts. Another host is Jace Barber, and we are CGF staff members full-time. We love serving the world of college golf, and this podcast is going to be conversations uh, with our PGA Tour partners, with CGF and other partners in the world of golf, and we hope you learn a lot. Uh, We certainly will along the way. Hope you join us for the journey and learn all areas, golf, life, and faith. Welcome to the Golf Life Faith Podcast. I'm your host, Toby Ragland, joined by my co-host, Jace Barber. Jace, how are you doing? Doing great. Just spent a couple of days with you, which was nice. Uh, the golf got off to a rough start, but all the other time was is fantastic. So it was good to see you face-to-face and glad to be back with a new Golf Life Faith. Yeah, just just quick thoughts on that. We got back from Willow Point in Alabama, USGA four-ball qualifier, three over through four, but we finished three under for the day. But three over through four was a rough start. But we are more excited. But uh, also be because quite- we've been involved with the Golf Life Faith podcast, after three over through four holes, best ball, with a par five thrown in there, we were able to understand our identity was not in that. Uh, I thought it quite a few times, uh, but it wasn't in it. So we came out stronger. Well, today we're going to be hearing a story from TW himself and getting stories of golf, life, and faith. Mr. Tom Whitney, who lives in Dallas, Texas. (laughs) Dallas, Texas. Dallas has no income state taxes, which is one of the reasons we live here. I was about to say, of any <laughs> state, is. you know, even from Florida, I don't know how I went. Taxes. Dallas, Texas, with his wife, Jess, who's in the Air Force Reserves, a major um, in the Air Force Reserves, along with their five kiddos. And Tom just got his four kiddos. <laughs> That's so four good kids. because I've made fun of another person who does articles and whatnot, who's gotten the number of Tom's kids wrong in the past. So I'm glad that that just happened here. Perfect. (laughs) This, this kind of feels like your guys' start in the four ball in those first three holes, honestly. (laughs) It's the best intro we've had so far. It's only going to get better. So (laughs) Tom, why don't you say hi (laughs) to our listening audience? Yeah. Thanks guys for having me. I'm looking forward to these the next 30, 45 minutes and, uh, yeah, we're going to have a good time talking about my history, military background, where I'm headed, and, you know, everything that's been a part of my life and my journey thus far. So tell our listeners where you're at, um, what golf has been like for the last year, and what that looks like moving forward. Yeah, so I just finished my sixth year on the Corn Ferry Tour. Uh, we wrapped up a couple weeks ago. I got one of those coveted top 30 graduation cards. So in January, I will be teeing it up at the Sony Open in Hawaii and uh, looking forward to a full season out on the PJ Tour in 2024. And so over the past six months leading up to the fact that you just got your PJ Tour card, you just wrapped up your sixth season on the Corn Ferry Tour. What was kind of the mindset and experience over that time period from going to trying to finish in the top 30 to then finally wrapping it up? Yeah, so um, the the entire season was unlike any other that I've had. Um, typically, 
started out like you guys do in the four ball where I'm outside the top 100 with half the season to go. And, and really I have to readjust my goals and just try to get back into that top 75. Um, in 2017 and 18, I had conditional status and um, failed to finish top 75 both of those years. And then um, fortunately after kind of assessing where I was, I was lacking and changing some things up um, that I'm sure we'll get into um, finished top 75 and 20 and 21 and 22. And then uh, this year got off to a hot start with a third place in the second tournament and then a, uh, a second place a few tournaments later. And um, I think finishing 21st was uh, put me at only the second week outside of the top 20 all year. Um, so it was, it was a cool experience where um, I had kind of had a lot of confidence thinking that this is the year that I'm going to finally graduate. Um, but even, even with that, you know, I had, I had jumped or fallen from seventh all the way down to about 20th over a span of a few tournaments and then snuck in another solo third and popped back into eighth or ninth. And, um, so even within that top 30, there was a, a, a pretty severe roller coaster all throughout the season. And, uh, it wasn't until, uh, Boise when I notched my final top 10 of the season that I, I really felt like I locked up my tour card and, um, could kind of finally rest and, uh, just have fun playing golf the rest of the season. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, it was, Man, a lot of emotions. Uh, thankfully, more more happy uh, than sad emotions this year. But now I'm just wrapping my brain around all of the new emotions, looking into what next year is going to look like as far as uh, new locations, new courses, um, being a young, well, a not so young rookie, um, and uh, kind of you know lowest part of the totem pole, and and get to try to work my way back up. And over the six years you were on the Corn Ferry Tour, uh, what? how did you measure whether you are getting better or not that you were kind of working your way towards that ultimate goal of graduating to the PGA Tour? Because as we have a lot of college golfers and competitive golfers listen to this, and it's, it's it can be a long journey, and six years on the Corn Ferry Tour, uh, and now you're graduating uh, for next year. So tell us about that. Yeah, so um, it's it's definitely something that I could have done better. Um, whether that would have been pulling, you know, pulling a coach and or a, or even a mental coach and having him look at my stats or the way I approach it, um, but there really wasn't much assessment until I lost my um, web.com status back in the end of 2018 um i had conditional that year only got into less than half of the events and finished like 150 on the season it was just a, it was a bust and um and then shortly after that i did not make it through first stage and it was at that point that um i really had to step back and say okay this is some of the worst golf i've played in my pro career what is going on and what do i need to change in order to get back on the upward trajectory and um you know, I, I, had I made those assessments every year instead of just when it got really, really bleak, um, I could have made it to the tour um, quicker than I did. Um, but, you know, you, you talk to anybody and experience is a very slow 
um, aspect of the game that um, you can only learn and build on at your speed. Um, you know, veterans give rookies advice all the time, and it's up to them whether they're ready to receive it or not. And, um, you know, even if someone told me to to slow down and take a look and do more assessments, um, I don't know if I would have received it until I was ready. But um, so when I when I lost all that status, didn't make it through Q school and had to requalify for Latin, um, I, I took a, a hard look at how I was preparing Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and I realized I had put too much of a premium on getting all of the information I needed for the course, where to hit it, where to avoid, um, too many practice rounds, too many practice holes. And then uh, when it came time on Thursday, I knew where to hit it and where not, but I was so tired and fatigued that I couldn't execute the shots. So honestly, I would have been better off playing the course blind, but able to execute mm -hmm. than knowing all the information I thought I needed to and being so tired where I couldn't pull it off. Um, so... Yeah, that's something where now I'm I'm putting in place, and and ever since then I've I've assessed every year, and um, you know, uh, a couple of those um, years where I finished top seventy five, it's like, okay, what am I doing wrong? Because I this isn't where I want to be. I, the goal isn't to finish top seventy five on Corn Ferry every year. It's to it's to move up and graduate, and uh, it led me after the season in twenty twenty two to realize that I was giving up way too many strokes in my um, hundred and under approaches. And I was just walking away with too many pars and sometimes even bogeys. And um, most people know on the Corn Ferry Tour, it's, it can be a birdie fest at times and um, you have to be able to convert from those yardages. So um, I wasn't ready for this. I wasn't planning for it, but um, after uh, a few solid weeks of prayer and, and just seeking advice and, and, and making sure my wife was on board, we, we uh, made the investment to buy a track man. And, uh, and then I started the very intentional work of dialing in my wedges uh, for the rest of that off season last year. And uh, ultimately I was just able to train my brain and my body to know um, pretty much what every five yard increment felt like from 50 to 100. Um, and, and then hitting into a net all winter gave me the ability on the golf course to kind of block out the other aspects of the shot that don't matter. So if there's a false front, um, if there's a bunker, if there's a lake, uh, you can kind of disregard those and just put the number you need to carry it or the, or the final yardage you need to swing it after the wind and temperature and all that. And then just pretend you're hitting it, hitting it into the net and, Man, I, I, I tell you, that was the main thing that transformed my game this season. Um, that that second event of the year where I notched that third place, um, I probably had seven or eight, uh, maybe even more up and downs from 70 to 100 yards that were pretty much kick-ins. And when you're doing that uh, multiple times around, just not only does the confidence build, um, but your putter feels hotter, um, even though you're just, you know, hitting these tap-ins, just the hole gets bigger. Um, you're more confident if you need to punch out and um, try to salvage a par from 100 yards rather than trying to get aggressive and get it up close to the green. And um, so really it's kind of uh, retrained my whole um, uh, management of the golf course just because I have that much more confidence going into the greens with my wedges. So, uh, yeah, that was really cool, and I'm going to definitely focus on that. 
um, as as I have two two months and change to continue to prepare for the start of the of the PJ Tour season. And um, yeah, looking forward to how I can continue to grow and move forward. That's awesome. And a fun thing to think about though is. A lot of guys, you know, go play college golf and then they go straight to key school and then start their career and then they just start building. You took a different route. So you were at Air Force playing, you played golf Air Force and then you served our country and then started your pro golf journey. So talk us through that, those four years uh, where you were serving and what you were doing. Uh, Cause I think the listeners, some may know, but others don't. And it's just pretty awesome. Yeah. So I graduated from Air Force Academy in May of 2010. And uh, right after that, I went to um, missile training, and that was to become a nuclear missile operator in the Air Force. And then um, my day-to-day job basically put me and another crew partner on a 24-hour shift about 100 feet underground, uh, directly in control of our nuclear missiles. Um, so during that, during that shift, uh, we would be in charge of routine tests, exercises, maintenance, um, and then all of the unplanned stuff, um, security responses, pressure changes, um, un- unplanned maintenance, anything that has to do with the missile, um, basically has to be routed through us for approval or coordination first. Um, so I did, um, in total, over those over those years, I almost spent an entire year underground at the at the Francis C. Warren Air Force Base in Cheyenne, Wyoming. Um, yeah, it was a it was a cool job. I um, it was it was tough to enjoy when I was doing it. Um, you know, it, it it could get monotonous, um, a very thankless job. But looking back, I mean, it was it's pretty darn cool to say that, Hey, I was, I was one of the guys that was in charge of our nuclear missiles and we would turn the launch key if the president sends the order, uh, as our, as our primary job duty. Um, so yeah, I mean, I have tons of stories through that. Um, one of them being, we, we had about a, a 20 foot by four foot space that we could kind of move around in, uh, in between all of the communication racks and equipment and, um, it was, there's a metal floor and we had kind of this basement tile that would go on top of that. And, um, there was a hole in the, in the center of this setup in every single launch capsule. And that's so you could unscrew, um, a little circular piece of this floor and reach down under and uh, access the motor generator for, uh, backup power. And uh, a part of the routine is you had to check that switch. Well, I found a Tupperware that fit perfectly in that little hole. And I would bring my putter down on alert and, um, and those carpet tiles are like a 17 <laughs> on the stimp, let me tell you. And, uh, and the, the cool thing is, so, so my squadron, our, our missile, um, personnel sites were alpha through echo. And, um, you, you typically have one of those as your primary one, but you, you switch out, um, pretty, um, on a regular basis. So like I did a lot of my alerts at Bravo and Charlie, um, but hit all of them. And um, each one, because the capsules are suspended on four shock isolators um, to help uh, shake the capsule around if there is a, an event um, and keep it safe. But all of those shocks were calibrated a little bit differently. So Bravo might break a little bit to the left and Charlie might break a little bit to the right. Um, <laughs> and uh, I got to learn that. 
um, pretty quickly being in that job. But um, yeah, that was kind of my my one cool golf story from being 100 feet underground. I probably made more feet of putt than any other person in, in that regard. That's amazing. <laughs> uh, so, uh, man, that's just crazy to think about. And I mean, I wish there was, you could share some more stories, but we want to get into some more impactful talk than the, the cool stories that uh, you could share. Um, but yeah, so let's kind of start shifting it to your faith walk and yeah, we can kind of work through it in different ways. Um, but I'd love for you to share with the listeners uh, about your brother. Um, your brother also served in the air force and um it's a pretty heavy subject for those that are listening to. Um, uh, but Tom, I'd love for you to kind of just share that story, how it has impacted your life, your family, and even your golf and how the Lord has been able to bring you through it. Um, yeah. So, um, I'll hit on that and then it'll kind of peek into, uh, some of the biggest areas of growth that I've made with my faith journey. Um, and then I'll be able to touch on those, but, um, yeah, so my, uh, my brother, Bob was two years older than me. Um, and we got to overlap for two years on the high school golf team. And then he went off to air force and ultimately I followed suit and we were able to overlap for two years on the golf team there as well. Um, so with that, we had, um, so many cherished memories being able to spend that time together. And, uh, he was a major in the air force, um, married for nine years, uh, four kids and was really just a very, um, highly awarded in his job as an intel officer. And um, he he fought a quick battle with depression and um, really it was only three, four months long. And uh, ultimately he ended up taking his life. Um, the night I was packing to go to the first event of the Corn Ferry Tour in 2020. Um, so, and and that right there is a significant um, date for me because that, that taught me how strong, um, depression can have a hold or get a hold of, of a person and the kind of lies that it can give them because Bob was my number one fan, um, for my professional golf on the planet. And there was no comparison. Mm -hmm. And the fact that, he was able to go through that decision-making process with the understanding, knowing that I was about to start my first full status season on the corn Ferry tour. And, um, he was doing that, doing that the night of that just shows you the, the inability to think clearly and rationally. And, um, so understanding that, um, I've really had a softening in my heart and a realization that man, depression, can absolutely take a hold of anyone. Um, prior, prior to losing my brother, I would kind of be the, the tough love guy, like, oh, well, check the facts, walk it off, great life, great wife, great kids, good at your job, physically fit, love the Lord, you know, like, just just look at the truth. But um, the reality is once, once that seed of depression sets in, um, the logic, the rational thinking um, just really um, becomes, uh, non-existent and, and really all you can do is just be with them, um, be present, love on them and, and try to slowly help them get out of that hole. Um, and there's, 
it, it's not black and white. There's no handbook. Um, every situation is different. So um, pretty soon after his passing, I just made a commitment to make this part of my platform now. Um, I figured if I pushed it down and didn't tell anybody about it, then, well, that's not going to benefit anyone in the future. Um, so, you know, this this curveball uh, was 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 thrown at me and um, and through earlier parts of my life, I, I I've developed an understanding that, you know, God's timing is perfect and everything His his will for us and plans for us prevail over um, the plans we make for ourselves um, every time. And, um, you know, you can't surprise God, you can't outsmart God. And, and for some reason he dealt me this card and, and I'm still kind of learning through that and, um, becoming a, a stronger person and, and growing closer to him and also, um, helping positively affect others, um, through this. Um, so yeah, that's, that's that aspect of, uh, of my brother and, and going through that loss. And, um, you know, we, I had to skip a few events and then um, played a couple and then COVID hit and, and 20, 2020 was just a, yeah, very, a very long year um, for sure. So to be able to keep status and, and graduate just a couple years after that, um, I'm very grateful for the opportunity. This even, you know, going back to that January of 2020, what did it look like as you went to travel out on the corn ferry tour what did that community look like with other believers um, that walked through that with you and your family? Yeah. Um, I, I remember, uh, of course I let the tour know right away. Um, Cause I mean, I was, I, I withdrew, you know, the night before I was flying out and um, you know, when I got out there a few weeks later, um, the, the camaraderie was there. Most people had heard what had happened and, um, by that time I had already committed to being open and honest. So, um, yeah, having, having the tour life guys around and, um, uh, it was, it was a very big blessing just to be, be able to have community and friends to talk with and vent to, and, um, you know, especially being in foreign, foreign countries and, and thousands of miles away from home and uh, just dealing with all the hurt and the pain and trying to distract with golf a little bit and and find joy in the in the day-to-day moments um yeah that was that was definitely a big part of being able to get through it yeah and something that's you know standing out as i listen to you share that story is that you had to you know make that decision to be open and upfront um about that struggle with other people um what you were going through uh with the loss of your brother and i just think we all are so prone to believe lies about who we are. And, and, uh, we, we believe the lies that, uh, Satan deals us and we don't believe the, what the truth that God's giving us. Uh, but like you said, kind of took that decision to be open and honest and can't help but think, uh, with the amount of people that might be, you know, going through something, listening to this, you know, especially if you're a college golfer, like you've got some people you can reach out to. Uh, with College Golf Fellowship, uh, you can find a staff guy around you. If you've never been introduced to our staff, um, reach out to us. Love to talk. Um, yeah. I've reached out to Jace talking about stuff. He's reached out to me. And that community is just incredibly helpful uh, to be have people that you can be fully known with. So yeah. but I, I really appreciate you sharing such a tough subject. Um, 
in the midst of your your crazy 2020 and just kind of how you know in the darkness there it's tough um you can't really put a silver lining on it uh but there is a god that is above everything mm. you know yeah. yeah i mean it's and it's it's just living out galatians 6 2 bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of christ and that's what you did and that's what we hope our listeners and college guys and donors and supporters and random people who are listening mm. get it is we're called to bear one another's burdens um and tom i just i love you as a brother in christ as a friend and i love that you're using your platform and literally just displaying Jesus through it. So yeah, and and thank you for saying that. And and uh, through that process, and you know, starting to make some posts early on about what happened, and um, you know, doing like a, a four week birdie pledge for uh, One Tribe Foundation, uh, which is an organization that helps support uh, military families that have been um, touched by by suicide and. Um, you know, I've had numerous people reach out to me that, um, you know, through social media, just either they're going through something and this story has helped, um, they have someone directly connected to them in their life and, um, hearing, um, what I've learned through this has helped them. Um, and I never tire of, you know, hearing those messages or even having people ask me for advice or for help. Um, so yeah, if you're going through something, um, need someone to talk to, um, yeah, I mean, Tom Whitney golf on Instagram, you know, I do my best to get to messages, but yeah, if you're hurting, there's, there's people out there that, that care for you, love you. And, and ultimately there's, there's a God that, um, has always loved you. will always love you. will never fail. You will always be faithful to you. Yeah. That's so good. And so, yeah, let's kind of transition to that and, you know, that's a heavy, that, like that's the, that's ultimate suffering. Like you know, other suffering is there, but that's, that's ultimate suffering. And of course it makes sense to run to God in that. So now let's transition to say, you know, how does your faith and all that stuff translate into other areas of your life into your golf into your marriage? Um, you know, for you like personally and your career of golf, like it's been, it's been a pretty long journey to get to getting your PGA tour card. Some guys would have quit years ago. Um, just talk about how your faith has impacted how you play golf, how you make decisions, how you've gotten to this point. Yeah. So, um, and, and ultimately what I think brought me through, um, the whole ordeal with my brother is, is, um, going through some other hardships earlier in life. And, um, so when I was on active duty in the air force, um, I had an opportunity to apply to separate early. Um, you have a five-year commitment after graduating from the academy but after two years, you can apply as a pro athlete and then transfer your time into the Air Force Reserve. Um, and before me, um, only contract sports has, had been approved. So basketball, baseball, football, um, those are the kinds of athletes that got approved for this early waiver. And um, I ended up applying twice through this this pro athlete program. And, and each time, um, it looked very, very promising that it would um, it would get approved. And then, um, so I would kind of set plans, try to make a working schedule, um, be kind of focused on, on the future and, and, and also white knuckle in the, uh, the applications and making sure it was advancing on time and getting to the next desk. And, uh, each of those times 
the uh, the application was recommended for approval by every step in my chain of command. So my flight commander, squadron commander, group commander, wing commander, they all said, yeah, this is a great idea. Uh, we recommend approval. And then, um, but it still has to go to the highest level, a few more levels up. And uh, each of those times at the very last minute, it got turn turned down with really no justification behind it. Um, and then I applied another time just under a program where the off, the Air Force was shrinking their officership uh, with budget cuts. And um, so I volunteered for that. And a third time, everyone recommended approval, making plans for the future gets turned down. And uh, so this is a span over um, about a year and a half by now of a roller coaster of emotions. And then um, I was driving one day and and was listening to Christian radio and, and some lady had lost her job and, and she was calling in and she said, Hey, I realized in that moment that God was bigger than my job and my employer. If he wanted me employed at that company, I still up. And I mean, that was just one of those moments that blew up in my mind. Like to that point, I had not considered God was bigger than the air force. I, I not intentionally, but just kind of compartmentalized God. I didn't really invite him into that whole process. And looking back, I realized that I was controlling it completely mm -hmm. myself. Um, so I, I ended up applying a fourth time um, to separate. And, and this would have, this, this put me out a year early. Um, so having served four years instead of five um, and um but when I submitted it, I I gave full submission to to God and, and just said, hey, this is under your control. I'm I'm done trying to white knuckle it. I'm done trying to make my plans beat out yours. And um, unfortunately, by that time, the Air Force had already released too many personnel. So now they were in a shortage. Um, so, of course, my flight commander, squadron commander, wing command, group commander, wing commander, they all recommended no um, because they couldn't justify letting me go. Um, and I'm here thinking, all right, well, it is what it is. You know, I'll just end up doing my full five years, no big deal, um, and then move on from there. And then I randomly get an email um, in my inbox that said, you've been approved for separation. Um, you know, you have 14 days <laughs> to, to separate. And I mean, if you tried to apply logic to all four of these applications, it never resulted in a logical result. I mean, the, if anything, if you were a betting man, you would bet approval on the first three and, and lose your bet. And then on the last one, you'd be like, oh, there's no chance. And um, so ultimately I, I learned to A, give up control to God um, Proverbs 19:21. Um, essentially, man can make his plans, but the Lord's purposes will always prevail. Yeah. And um, so, I've kind of leaned on that very hard ever since that time. And um, I've also realized that you know God's timing is perfect; His plan <clears throat> is perfect for us, and uh, He is not constrained within the limits of our human logic. Like if, if you think about logic and reasoning that our brains can perceive, he is not bound to those limits. So when you try to apply logic to those three applications, well, yeah, it doesn't make sense, but, but he, he doesn't work within those, those barriers. 
those boundaries. So um, it really just expanded my my respect for God and how big and powerful he truly is, but then also his love for me, understanding that his plan is absolutely perfect for me. And, I, you know, I have, I have desires in my heart. I, I have the timeline. I want things to happen in. Um, but if, if things don't go my, go my way, I have that understanding that he is still in control. He is sovereign overall. And uh, ultimately, you know, it's, it's my job to trust in him and um, not, not think anything else other than, you know, I, I may or may not be privy to working on in my life. Um, I may, I may see the result. Uh, I may not. Um, but I'm, I'm good with, with any and all that happens to me because I understand that, that his, his will for me is absolutely perfect. I think something great there that you just pointed out knowingly, unknowingly is that when you surrender your life to the Lordship of Jesus because of what he did on the cross and because he was resurrected, we just are taught, you know, in just Americanized culture and whatnot. It's like, oh, well, now you have eternal life. Not going to hell, you have eternal life. There you go. That's the reward. But when you walk with Jesus, it changes everything from that moment forward. And he gives you the wisdom to walk through those things. And he, you know, gives you patience to wait on his timing it's not just a looking way forward. We talked about this the other night, Toby. I think Nori brought it up on our call in, in Romans. It's, no, the Lord walks with you now, and he guides mm-hmm. you, and there is an ultimate reward, and that's what we're hoping for. But while we're living in this earth, there's suffering, there's good, there's bad, there's all the things in between. We have a God who's there, he's present, he's faithful, and he's good. So it's good. Yeah, and, and um, also even looking back to my childhood you know I, I grew up a christian strong christian home um and i i, I think I, I would say most christians probably start as a transactional christian just from a understanding standpoint um and it's very difficult if not near impossible to avoid the well if i do good then god me and I, I feel like i had that understanding all the way up and up through college and even a few years after and, um, you know, it's just through these pivotal moments, the, the Air Force story I just told you, and, and then my brother, and then, um, you know, even, even losing my status at the end of 2018 and having to requalify for the Latin tour in 2019 at like age 30. And, um, you know, all of those, all of those lows, I realized, um, was not because of, of my failure. Um, and I've, I've slowly realized that it, it's not, um, it's, yeah, it's not transactional between us and Christ. He, he cannot love us any less or any more, um, based on what we do Mm -hmm. and, and the salvation that we hold because of what Jesus Christ has done. Um, it negates our resume and our accomplishments. So, um, there's a there's a freedom in that, and um, and that realization of of moving from transaction to just relation relational with Jesus, um, I think has has been one of the the other um, big big takeaways on the golf course that's really enabled me to um, to just be more clear headed and have more joy out there and um, yeah, that's good. I lost my- lost my train of thought for a second. All right. So 
just talking about going through highs and lows and trusting the Lord in those moments. Um, you mentioned how, like, you know, going back to the Latin America tour 2018, um, in those moments of trying to figure out what's next, you go play a tournament, maybe you don't play well. What did it look like to process that and trust the Lord with the results, whether they were good or bad? Yeah, I, I'm, I would say early on in my <clears throat> career, it started out as, oh, where did I, where did I falter to deserve this miscut? Um, you know, oh man, I, I could have sworn I read my Bible enough, but maybe I need to spend more time before I, I tee off, or maybe I need to pray a little bit longer on the first tee or, or, or be in communication with him more on the golf course. Um, and honestly, I was probably, um, unnecessarily hard on myself mm -hmm. in that way because um i was just barking up the wrong tree trying to think that our success is is directly correlated to how much time we put in with him um now ultimately as we fall in love with jesus we will be drawn to pursue him more to spend more time in his word um to memorize more verses to go to bible study to um commit daily uh to getting to know him more um, but yeah, that's, that's not a means to achieve an end that we want as, you know, just a, a human desire or, you know, a, a check, a, a, um, a checklist item, you know, off of, um, income we want or status or whatever. Um, ultimately God desires our heart and a relationship with us. Um, just that's purely out of love. And, and as I've learned that it's just developed um, in my life and in my heart, a freedom to to live for him, to look for opportunities to share his love, and then also have the confidence that, you know, if I have a bad round, if if I miss a cut, if I ultimately lose status, if I drop down on a different tour, um, my identity is not changing because, again, his love for me hasn't changed based on what I did or didn't do. My identity is... I'm a beloved son of God. His love for me will never change. And I happen to get to play professional golf on the side. Um, it's not, I am a pro golfer that happens to be a Christian. Um, so really understanding and learning how to prioritize my identity and, and having my identity in something that is forever constant can't, can't ever change, nor can it be taken from me. Um, that, that, to me has given me the ultimate freedom on the golf course. Now there are real world ramifications to good golf to bad golf. Mm -hmm. Um, but, but again, Paul teaches us in Philippians, um, you know, four thirteen talks about he, he can do anything through Christ who strengthens him. But I think the more important verse is right before that, where he talks about being content in all situations. Um, and that's that's the heart of the issue is Paul has an understanding of where his identity rests. It's not it's not in temporal things that uh, can come and can fade, but it's in something that's constant and solid and won't ever, um, yeah, won't ever won't ever disappear. Um, mm. So yeah, that's honestly I've I've wondered how um, how guys can be good at golf without a faith perspective because this part is so hard and so demanding and can, can mm -hmm. drag your brain in so many directions. If, if your identity is wrapped up in your accomplishment and um, I mean, it's, 
it's tiring. I feel like if, if, if you think that way and, and having that release and freedom from that, I think has really boosted my ability to just think freely and clearly. And, and my goal on the golf course is to have a good time and, and spread some joy and, and maybe cause people to wonder like, well, why does Tom not get as frustrated as most people do? Um, not saying I'm perfect at that. I'm always trying to get better and, and even asking my caddy, Hey, make sure I'm not, uh, an idiot out there. And, um, yeah. you know, but, but my end goal is, um, I want people to be curious and ask questions as to like why I do the things I do and why do my reactions look different, whether it's reacting to positive golf or, or negative golf, whatever it is. And, and the only answer is because you know, I have my identity in something that is, is solid and secure. Yeah. I think that's the biggest misconception a lot of times is like, you know, with Christians like, Oh, well you're doing that. Cause you're, you're good. It's like, no, my flesh wants to do this, but I have Christ in me. He convicts me. The Holy spirit convicts me. And so I'm going to be sanctified and made it more holy, but my flesh is desiring to throw this club into that tree. Uh, but there's just a different outcome as you grow. And it's like you said, it's seasons, you know, you sometimes there may be a day where it is a little bit, yeah, out there, but you're whole, fully known, fully forgiven, as Toby and I talked about the other day. So, yep. well, yep. we're 40 minutes in. Toby's got some great questions lined up. This is ra- rapid fire portion. Um, so he's going to just bring the heat and you're going to give him some answers. Yep. And feel free to expand on the first few on these rapid fire questions. But I thought it'd be fun just to ask you what's your favorite golf moment from college? From college. This is supposed to be rapid, huh? I'm not supposed to be, <clears throat> be able to think about it too much. Yeah. What pops into your head? <laughs> um, man, honestly, oh, I, I would probably share have, on the podcast. What's that? <laughs> that you can safely share on the podcast. Best golf memory. Probably what I alluded to earlier and just the fact that I was able to overlap with my brother for two years. Yeah. Um, so, you know, side story at, at the academy, um, you are not allowed to have your own vehicle freshman and sophomore year. Um, that's a privilege that you get back as you're a, a junior and a senior. So um, I got the best of both worlds because when I entered there as a freshman, my brother was a junior. Um, so he had our our vehicle and was able to kind of chauffeur me around. And, um, and then when he graduated, I just inherited that vehicle. So, you know, I was one of the lucky freshmen that had a a car for all four years while he was there or while I was there. Um, but yeah, just the memories of being able to be on the team with him, um, for those, those two years was probably my favorite. That's awesome. What is one thing you learned from being in the military, uh, that you've taken into your, your golf game? Probably time management. Um, I military, and then also being a dad of four kids, um, I can, I can do things very efficiently, um, with not a lot of wasted time. And, and as I'm experiencing these off seasons with a lot of kid activities and and really just wanting to be a present dad, um, thanks to my training going through basic and, and four years of the academy and then um, even the four years active duty, like it, I've, I've just learned to always have efficiency in whatever I'm doing. So 
you know, I can go out and practice wedges with my track man for 30 minutes. And it's probably better than any practice session I'd done. I had done previously um, that could have been two or three hours out on the range, you know, so I'm always looking for ways to, um, yeah, just be very efficient and intentional with my time. That's good. Yeah. And, hours I, and I make a really life. mean bed. <laughs> oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah. Hours on the range does not equal lower scores, does it? Um, okay. What is the uh, highest score made on one hole in your professional career? Are you asking this because you know the answer? I might. Um, it still I, only got two squares. <laughs> um, actually, it may be a tie. Um, <clears throat> it might be that I, I think I scored a 12 in uh, Springfield, Missouri on the last hole, kind of tin cupped it. And uh, I was making the turn. It was on hole 18, but I was making the turn and I still fought to make the cut. And I think I made it all the way back to like within two or three. Um, and then um, even more recent was Exuma. Um, this year, the first event of the year, I think I made a, a 10 or an 11 um, on the par 5 15th. Um, uh, anyone that's played that can, event knows can, exactly what hole I'm talking about. It can happen easy um, on that hole. The, the worst part is I hit it in the fairway. What? Which the tee shot the is the, the part. hard spot. Yeah. And then uh, <laughs> I decided, you know what? I'm not fully comfortable going for it. I'm going to do the smart thing and lay up. And yeah. so one in the yeah. fairway, two was my layup on my line, rolled six inches OB. So dropped three, hit one less club on my line for a layup, rolled OB. Um, <laughs> came back, hit a third one. Um, I think that one stayed in. Hit up, missed the green, chipped on, two-putted. Thanks for coming. That was round one. And then I battled back and missed the cut by one. Um, wow. So, yeah. But then, you know, that tells you where my mind was. I, I was hitting it well. Yeah. Um, it was one fluke hole, and then I finished third the next week. Nice. And I could have been the caddy there. <laughs> you could have. Gosh. You could texted him the right club in the hands for the layup. I literally texted him uh, after he finished third, said congrats. Wish I could have been there. He's like, yeah, you could have made like six grand. Like, yeah, I could have. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you almost caddied that event. Yeah, I almost third... caddied the, yeah, the, the third place event. Nice. But I have a family, you know, allegiances mm. to them. Mm. Kind of regret it a little bit, but whatever. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll go, we'll give a family feel to this question, but what's your favorite meal of the day, breakfast, lunch, or dinner with the family? Probably breakfast. Um, <clears throat> because dinners lately don't necessarily include all the family members just with the, uh, our, our daughter is in competitive gymnastics now. Um, so three days a week, she's got three and a half hour practices. Our son's got baseball two nights a week. Um, and he also does tennis, um, in addition, but, uh, yeah, breakfast, uh, I'm usually the cook for breakfast, especially on the weekends and I like to get creative and, um, yeah, pancakes are usually a favorite for them, but, uh, banana oatmeal, vanilla pancakes are actually a pretty good pretty big hit and they don't understand how healthy they are. So that's always a win. 
Okay, if you could play any golf course in the world, you get to teleport to the first tee. Well, mm. I've I've never enjoyed these favorite golf course questions, um, just because and you I, get I, to answer it though. Yeah, I uh, I always get decision <laughs> overload, so I will honestly say Eisenhower Blue, which is our uh, our course at the Air Force Academy. Um, it's still probably my favorite course to this day. Um, long tree lines, traditional back to front greens. Um, and it's just got that nostalgic piece to it of, of having played four years there. And um, yeah, I, w- I wouldn't mind going back there. That's awesome. That's going to be a great clip for recruiting, by the way. Nice. Yeah. Nice. We'll tag Air Force Golf. All right. So say you go play there, dream foursome, anybody you want dead or alive who's your foursome and we'll let you pick three or four guys you can maybe get on five as a fivesome um yeah definitely my brother um man i i feel like some pressure to say jace barber and toby raglan i don't i don't (laughs) i don't don't know why i feel that pressure but i feel like there's only one right answer there um and then blaine can caddy Yes. Ooh, Perfect. I would yes. love playing <laughs> as a caddy. And then maybe maybe Corky is another caddy in the they group. Can, and they can double bag both. Perfect. Nice. Yeah. That would be go. amazing. Yeah. My, my brother is part of that foursome for sure. Yeah. All right. So let's say you, you know, you are starting the best part of your PGA Tour career with the PGA Tour card this next season. But if you had to start a different career on Monday – unrelated to golf what would it be uh it'd be a career in woodworking so furniture building or furniture restoration or whatever it is but yeah get me a give me a three thousand square foot shop and uh all the all the necessary tools and um i would i would be in heaven on earth for sure wow out of left field never would have guessed it Love it. We need to start a, well, I would assume that you're somewhat good at that if that's what you think you would do as a profession. So we'll start getting you to do like tea gifts for golf tournaments, you know, in your spare time. Cause it'll, bring you, it'll bring you joy. Yeah, I mean, uh, during COVID, one of my projects was building a, uh, a full size bunk bed for my daughter's room. And, uh, I, I, I filmed the whole thing, time-lapsed it all. And, um, to this day, they, they still sleep on it every once in a while. All four kids will, will have a sleepover on it. And uh, yeah, it's not going anywhere. So <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> that is great. Man. Well, Tom, thank you for your time getting on with this golf life faith episode. Certainly enjoyed hearing more of your story. Uh, I hope a lot of people are able to to listen and enjoy it as well. And we will see you somewhere out on the the PGA Tour this year. Yeah, I really enjoyed it, guys. Thanks for having me on. Thanks, Tom. Thanks for taking the time to listen to the Golf Life Faith podcast. Whether you're a college golfer, a coach, or you just love golf, we'd love to hear from you. If you have any questions, please email us at podcast at collegegolffellowship.com. Also, check us out on Instagram at collegegolffellowship and on Twitter at CGFTweet. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast and be on the lookout for the next episode next month. Cheers.